Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's Friday, 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 at 6.07 a.m. Central Daylight Time. I cannot wait to fall back, honestly. It is the 25th of September 2020. This is episode 293 of Bitcoin, and we shall just get in to see what the uh, IRS is is, is doing. Uh, I think they're actually taking a collective shit at this point. We'll find out from Daniel Palmer out of Coindesk.com. IRS will make it harder to avoid declaring crypto on tax returns. This was written this morning. The U.S. Internal Revenue Service is about to deploy, I love that word, deploy a simple trick to make it far harder for taxpayers to avoid declaring their cryptocurrency assets. According to a Wall Street Journal report on Friday, the Eternal Revenue, the Eternal Revenue Service <laughs> plans to reposition a question on the 1040 income tax form for 2020 that will require all returnees to check a box if they have transacted any crypto assets over the year. An IRS draft of the 1040 shows that the question placed near the top of the form will likely read at any time during 2020, did you sell, receive, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in the in any virtual currency? The question was included on the form for 2019, but was placed in a part of the document that not all returnees had to fill out. Okay, that's the key. We didn't have to fill it out in 2019, says the uh, or the uh, Wall Street Journal says. An expert on tax law told the S or God, the Wall Street Journal that the question would make it easier for the IRS to win cases if the taxpayer checks the no box and is later found to actually have held crypto. <gasps> oh my God, we're, we can, you mean we can't do anything at all that we want without telling you about it? If it pleases the crown, may I go use the bathroom, please? For these people all need to just burn, honestly, man. Reporting crypto taxes in the U.S. is notoriously tricky, and even the IRS has conceded things need to improve. That's on you, IRS. That's on you, pal. An official told Coindesk in July that some of the guidance published to date could be clarified and, quote, is not ideal. The IRS is working to keep up with the crypto industry, the official added. Good luck, pal. The more prominent placement of the crypto question for 2020 may be effective, the Wall Street Journal writes. The IRS previously added a similar question regarding taxpayers' offshore bank accounts and resulted in the IRS receiving over $12 billion in taxes. So, okay. You know, I don't know what to say about this. You know, honestly, at this point, you, you know, we're probably, at least in the near term, um, if we have been doing things like stacking sats with Swan Bitcoin or River Financial or Cash App, 
we're probably, you know, going to have to check the yes box. Uh, just don't sell anything. Because as far from what I know, and no, I'm not a tax professional. I do not have an accounting degree. I do not work as a tax professional. You have to go ask your own damn accountant. And good luck if your accountant knows anything about this shit, like at all. Oh, by the way, if uh, you want to make sure that you're getting ahead of the curve and getting clients for accounting and like, you know, tax prep, <clears throat> you would do well. You would do very well to increase your knowledge of uh Bitcoin and relative cryptocurrencies so that you actually can say, I can help you prepare that. All right. Just saying. But as far as I know, if you just buy Bitcoin with cash, you're not having a tax liability. Now, clearly, if you sell it for cash, you have a, t a tax liability. That's that one I know. Uh, what I also am not sure about, but I'm pretty sure about because we had a really good accountant uh, tell us about it at Bitblock Boom. But again, not a tax professional. If you receive cryptocurrency for goods and services, you're on the hook. Okay. So if I sell stickers and I'm getting Bitcoin for it, I have to report that shit as income now. And then it gets really sticky. So if you're doing that through channels that are open, that can be scanned um, you're like, if you're co like, let's say, <clears throat> let's say this, let's say you've got a wallet that you've been setting, you've been stacking sats from like, let's say, uh, cash app, right? And every month, like a good little bird, you pull all your money off of, uh, cash app and throw it into a wallet. And then all of a sudden you decide to set up yourself a BTC pay server and you're getting Bitcoin for uh, doing stuff for people, whatever that stuff may be. And you start throwing that shit into the same wallet. You've got a problem. I, I think you would have a problem. What you need to think of is a way to make Bitcoin through BTC pay server. Okay. And take it to a wallet that receives or a wallet or a group of wallets that receive no other Bitcoin than Bitcoin that you make doing your goods and services. And, and that's it. It's money that comes in through BTC pay server and goes into this wallet. Likewise, if you're going to exchange shit and use a hodl hodl for the time being before the IRS figures out what to do with that, and they probably won't, or at least if they do, they won't keep up with the trend. Um, and something new will come out and they'll have to chase that son of a bitch down. And that's, that's another, that's another rant for another day. I'm just saying, okay, they're coming after us. That's what's happening here. They're coming after us and you got to be smart about what you do because the one thing that's most important is to not end up in jail. If you're a United States citizen, that's, they oh, well, there's no debtor's prison unless you lie to the IRS. There you go. Okay. Yeah, like a private citizen can't put me in jail for owing them money, but the IRS sure as shit can if I lied to them about, you know, how much money I made and I still owe them money. So they, like, for instance, if I were to lie to the IRS and somehow or another pay them more than what they're owed, would they still put me in prison? <laughs> it's actually a good question. I'm just saying. Okay. So just be careful there. Uh, decoupling. Is it? Bitcoin versus gold ratio snaps out of a three-year bear market, says William Suberg, or, well, he's writing about somebody who probably said it. 
for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. A long-term downtrend flips from bullish support, as Willie Wu says, Bitcoin's days of tracking traditional markets are numbered. Well, they're always numbered. Bitcoin may soon decouple from traditional assets, says statistician Willie Wu, as a key gold relationship breaks out of a long-term downtrend. In a tweet on September the 25th, Wu forecast that Bitcoin would act like a successful startup in accruing new interest and going its own way. Adoption, he argued, would follow a classic S-curve pattern, much in the same way that a startup grows. This would take precedence over investors looking for a hedge against other assets. Quote, Bitcoin will decouple from traditional markets soon, TM, but driven by its internal adoption S-curve, think startup-style growth, rather than changes in perceptions as a hedging instrument by traditional investors, Wu wrote, <clears throat> quote, fundamentals of user adoption have already broken new all-time highs. As Cointelegraph reported, both Bitcoin network hash rate and difficulty are at record levels, underscoring the competitiveness and long-term appreciation of profitability among miners. Just as we predicted a breakaway from Bitcoin's current dependency on factors such as the United States dollar currency index, another chart highlighted that change may already be afoot. Bitcoin's price ratio versus gold in a downtrend since the all-time BTC slash USD highs in December of 2017 broke to the upside. When the pair reclaimed twelve thousand dollars at the end of the at the end of July, the subsequent retest of the trend line appeared to confirm a new support, resulting in a bounce to the upside. The weekly chart performance over the past three years was keenly noted by Travis Kling, hedge of crypto, or I guess hedge manager of crypto hedge fund Ikiagi. I don't know how to pronounce that shit. Wu's words, meanwhile, come as arguably this year's biggest Bitcoin adopter, MicroStrategy, likely denies that its move to purchase $425 million of BTC was a hedge. In an interview with RT host Max Kaiser on his Kaiser Report TV show on Thursday, CEO Michael Saylor explained that he genuinely wanted MicroStrategy to adopt a Bitcoin standard. Quote, what we have is a war on currency and not a war to make the U.S. currency weaker than the euro. The war on currency is anybody holding currency is getting attacked, he said. Quote, and now, or, and so now we're starting to realize that currency is being made toxic by the political and financial policies of the central banks. You kind of, uh, you kind of have to run away from that currency to something that's not toxic and I think that Bitcoin is the that non-toxic currency, end quote. He noted that swapping cash for Bitcoin also made sense because scarce assets were inflating up by 25% in 2020 and 10% each year thereafter. Sitting on cash reserves, therefore, was akin to the ice cube that was melting. That's a very famous quote at this point from Michael Saylor. So there is a decoupling. What What's odd is that they mentioned you know, they have a chart in there and it shows a trend line of the price of Bitcoin versus the price of gold. And it shows this trend line breaking up or the, the daily price or the, well, the price is breaking up. Well, my question is, is that there's other trend lines that we're always retesting. And that's always, you know, either, you know, well, versus the US dollar, let's just take that one. So if I've got it, if I'm retesting, you know, US dollar trend lines, and I'm also retesting gold, trend lines, then the aggregate should be some kind of other type of sentiment in general. I just don't know what that shit is. See, this is where you call people like Tone Vase and say, 
what's the collaboration between this gold trend line here and the USD trend lines over here? And if you want to go pay him half a Bitcoin to have that discussion, be my guest. I like Tone, but I ain't paying that boy shit, dude. How many DeFi projects still have God mode admin keys? Well, it's probably more than you think, says Joshua Mapperson for Cointelegraph sometime very, 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 very early this morning. The vast majority of DeFi projects still have the ability to enter God mode and unilaterally make changes to pretty much everything. Okay. At this point, game theory, video games, God mode. Do you see a trend? Do you see a trend? I'm just saying you might want to keep that shit in mind. 12 out of the 15 most popular decentralized finance protocols still have access to a God mode administration key or admin key. According to data on review platform DeFi Watch, these full access controls allow developers to modify or replace the smart contracts underpinning their, co their projects including making adjustments to user balances. The, I'm going to read that again. These full access controls, this is in DeFi tokens, people. These full access controls allow developers to modify or replace the smart contracts underpinning their projects, including making adjustments to user balances. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. You guys chew on that for a sec. Oh, coffee makes almost damn near anything better, but not this. While admin keys have been justified as a way to protect user funds and are often used with security features such as time locks and multisigs, analysts argue this calls into question exactly how, quote, decentralized these projects really are. Hmm. In a YouTube video posted on September the 24th, Mastering Bitcoin author and educator Andreas Antonopoulos defined a truly decentralized project as one that does not have custodial control over the funds. Quote, that's a very important criterion. I think that's the foundational criterion, end quote. By that standard, most protocols fall well short. Of the 15 projects reviewed on DeFi Watch, only InstaDAP, MakerDAO, and Uniswap are reported to have no admin keys associated with their project or product. I don't even know if it could be considered a product. The remaining projects, which include Aave, Compound, DDEX, Yearn Finance, Nexus Mutual, and Synthetics, all have admin keys, allowing for varying degrees of control. Aave's admin key, which is owned by an Aragon DAO consisting of just five members, only requires three yes votes to make sweeping protocol changes. Aave currently sits third among all DeFi projects by total value locked with more than $1.38 billion dollars worth of Ave locked. Okay. Good God. And that's a three of five multi-sig and 1.38 billion. I mean, honestly, how, how at $1.38 billion worth of value locked, even if you, even if you only get three quarters of that by the time you market sell and get the slippage, how hard would it be to convince three human beings to do that? It's not like you're trying to convince 3,000. You're trying to convince three. Get my point? Continuing on, however, several projects, including Compound, have implemented security features to protect the integrity of the admin keys, and many projects have plans to mi migrate to fully decentralized governance systems in the future. 
While many users have suggested that Ave and other projects have been upfront about their admin keys, DeFi watch founder Chris Bleck believes that DeFi protocols need to be explicit if they retain the option to enter God mode. Bleck added that even when project, uh, when a project acknowledges that an admin key exists, few clearly outline the ramifications. For example, nowhere does it say Ave can change your account balance or Ave can replace all code with new code. Ave's website states all funds are held in non-custodial contracts and have an opaque warning. Quote, Ave will keep ownership of the protocol in these early days in order to ensure that the protocol remains secure if any issues arise. <laughs> that rhymes with lies. Synthetic smart contracts are similarly fully upgradable via their admin key, with DeFi Watch starting stating that the core team possesses, quote, vast power to do just about anything, including adjusting user balances and draining funds. Despite Synthetic's core team, core team acknowledging that the project is highly centralized, the protocol has attracted more than $590 million in assets from the DeFi community. Uniswap does not have admin keys. However, blockchain analytics firm Glassnode suggested in a report this week that the DeFi project has essentially created their own equivalent backdoor through the distribution of their unique governance token. According to Glassnode, the team potentially has immediate access to almost 40% of the entire supply, which is over double the amount currently held by the rest of the Uniswap's community, with the Uni tokens facilitating project governance, including access to the project's treasury, this would put them firmly in control of a decentralized protocol. <coughs> DeFi Watch states that trustless protocols are something of a mirage at present, and in the end, security comes down to the project team project team's competency. Quote, the only way that you can truly feel secure while using these DeFi products is, is to trust the competency of the team and their ability to secure the admin key. If, if you listen to that, if you listened to that story from Joshua and you hold bags of any DeFi and you are not immediately going to dump those bags, then you deserve everything that's coming. Because what's coming is not going to make you rich. It's going to make you poor. I'm just saying. MMO developer Pixelmatic builds Bitcoin VR conference. Will Heisman writing this for BTC Times. In what I'm going to go ahead and admit is a completely, you know, uh, I would say collaborative piece, but that's not what I mean. Well, let me see if I can't read through this and, and you'll figure it out in the end. Now, this isn't to say I don't like these guys from Magical Crypto Conference, but come on. You, you'll understand what I'm talking about here in a second. The Magical Crypto friends have joined forces with MMO game development company Pixelmatic to host a Bitcoin conference with a virtual reality twist. The coronavirus pandemic has curbed nearly every Bitcoin conference in 2020, except for Bitblock Boom. <laughs> Guess what? No, no, nobody's sick. Government restrictions, lockdowns, and travel bans have led to a host of events being canceled and postponed during the peak of the crypto conference season earlier this year, but some adapted. Many conference, conferences circumvented restrictions by migrating to cyberspace, leaning on video conferencing platforms such as Zoom to keep events viable. Still, virtual seminars via video conferences have yet to experience their popularity breaking, breakthrough with the Bitcoin space. 
Pixelmatic aims to change this with the upcoming Magical Crypto Conference, or the MCCVR 2020. Building upon a forked and re-architected version of Mozilla Hubs, an open-source VR chat room, Pixelmatic has reimagined the conventional Bitcoin conference, adding functionality to real-time mirror VR avatars across hundreds of rooms. The team also added basic conference features such as speaker and audience management, hot swapping, displayed content, world navigation with portals, avatar access based on category, room access based on category, and intelligent routing of users across replicated rooms. According to Pixelmatic, conference attendees can further look forward to hundreds of custom avatars with speakers entering the conference using VR versions of themselves. Oh, this is going to be fun. Quote, we wanted to do something different from the standard group Zoom calls that you see most for most conferences, said Whale Panda, one of the four magical crypto friends. This is crypto after all, and we wanted to do something quirky and fun, just like with MCC 2019 in New York. So, in the spirit of magical crypto friends, we decided to do a VR conference with a completely customized cartoony world. <laughs> and it's going to be fun. I don't, I don't care. It's going to be fun. I'm not going, but it's going to be fun for those who do. MCC VR 2020 kicks off this Friday, September the 25th. Oh, that's today. And will await attendees with a uh, two-day program. Some of the speakers include Blockstream CEO, Dr. Adam Beck, MicroStrategy CEO, Michael Saylor, and Bitfinex CTO, Paolo Arduino. Who knows if it goes well. VR could become the new normal for Bitcoin conferences. God, I hope that that statement is completely wrong. Now, here's the deal. Magical Crypto Friends is, you know, Fluffy Pony, Whale Panda. Uh, I think it's uh, Charlie Lee. Yeah, Charlie Lee is the chicken. And who else? Who else? Oh, Exelon. That would be Samson Moe, who's CEO of Pixelmatic. So... Yeah, it's not like Pixelmatic didn't know anything about the Magical Crypto Friends Conference and said, hey, we got to do this. No, that's Samson basically pulling his company <laughs> into the thing. Be careful with that kind of shit, Samson. That, that can come back to bite you in the ass. <laughs> Let's run the numbers. It's the future. It's the future of money. No, it's futures and commodities. It's basically we're reading the death knell of everything else. Energy futures. Let's start here. Oil is down by one and a quarter percent. So your big old barrel of oil is going to cost you about 40 bucks. Britain North Sea is down less at 0.88%. So it'll cost you $41.57 for that. Natural gas, who's, I don't know what the hell's going on here, down three and a half percent. So we're talking about two point, or I'll say what, $2.16 for a thousand cubic feet of that stuff. Uh, metals, let's see what gold did. Oop, go, oh man, poor Peter. Down a point. We're at $1,857. Silver is down, God, 2% to 22 bucks. Well, well it's 22.70, but. You know, at that point, I'm not even counting. Uh, index futures looks like we are, we're all down, but it's kind of meh. Dow futures are down set, I don't know, 0.8%. S&P futures are down 0.7. NASDAQ futures are down a third. And S&P mini is down almost a full point. So 
whatever. Kind of meh. I don't know. I guess it depends on what your level of meh is on point losses. This to me is like, eh, you know, whatever. Money though. Real money. $10,601 for a Bitcoin. Looks like we're going to have a high at 10605 and a low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro at $10,589. So not much of a spread there for arbitrage. Transactions in the last 24 hours looks like it's about 335,000. That's about 14,000 transactions on average per hour. And at 2.5 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that means that about 104,000 BTC are being sent on average per hour, with the average transaction value being about $80,000 or 7.5 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.056 BTC, which is about 600 bucks. Block times are a little low, 9 minutes and 28 seconds. We have a half Bitcoin being taken in fees on a per block basis and 80 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Whoop-de-doo, up, uh, hash rate is up over 10.5%. We are now standing at 143.8 exahashes per second. Ethereum at 340, Bcash at 211, Litecoin at 44.5, BSV at 152.6, Ethereum Classic at $5, and Dogecoin holding at 0.0026. 56,000 transactions in the last 24 hours puts it over Ethereum Classic and Bcash, but not Litecoin because Litecoin is at 161,000. Whoa, man. Clark Moody Bitcoin. <clears throat> Clark Moody's looking at a price of 10,600. Uh, we have, I'm still reeling because I deleted all my cash materials, so I, I haven't been able to set this back up. Let's look at how many. See, I don't know where anything is anymore, man. This is pissing me off. You know what? Screw it. Let's just go right into lightning. Uh, ooh, wow. 100 and, or 1,110.1 BT or 0.9 BTC is, are in uh, the lightning network. It's $11.8 million in liquidity over 7,522 nodes representing 37,247 channels. Tor capacity has fallen again. 49.4% of the Lightning Network is now running over Tor with a capacity of 549.22 BTC, and that's spread across 2,434 nodes. I'm going to give it one more shot for Mempool. Oh, here we go. It looks like there's only 5,500 transactions awaiting to clear, and that's going to take, I don't know, it looks like it's going to take 20 blocks to get that done. That's going to do it for Vitals. Barstool Sports President, or was it Stooley Presidente or Presidente Del Stooley? Whatever, man. Dave Portnoy, who has forever and ever and ever, I guess, believed that, quote, unquote, stocks only go up. Apparently is talking about crypto. Shara Malwa has this one out of Decrypt.co. Sometime this morning, Barstool Sports President reveals how much cryptocurrency he owns. So let's look at what's going on here from uh, Stocks Only Go Up guy. 
Dave Portnoy, founder of sports blog Barstool Sports, revealed on podcast on a podcast yesterday the extent of his crypto holdings and termed the sector as a big Ponzi scheme. The multimillionaire enjoyed a pomp a pompous interest entrance into the crypto market in August, barely lasting a week before complaining the volatility was too much to stomach. He then announced he had sold all of his Bitcoin, but did he hold onto a few fledgling altcoins? Quote, I have nothing in crypto right now. The thing I miss the most is the memes, Portnoy told crypto investor Anthony Pompliano on the Pomp Podcast. <clears throat> Portnoy refer- reaffirmed that at one point he held over $1 million worth of Bitcoin, but eventually sold it all. Quote, it's just one big Ponzi. You get in and you just have to not be the one left holding the bag, said Portnoy. It's no different from the stock market. Everyone's pumping their own coin, right? <laughs> but Bitcoin bull Pompliano was not to be deterred. He countered Portnoy's doubts by explaining what he thinks are Bitcoin's strength. Quote, Bitcoin is stronger than anything in the world. No government, nobody can hack it because it's the strongest computing network in the world. It's got more computing power on it than anything, said Pompliano. He suggested Portnoy could invest and hold cryptocurrency for the long term instead of viewing the asset as a one-time purchase where the volatility could be milked for profits. His arguments may have worked to some degree. The media mogul promised he would return to the crypto market again, but with no particular timeline. (laughs) But until then, he's going to stick to stocks. And on on a side note, uh, there was a part of that interview that I saw. It was just a clip of... Uh, Pompliano talking to Dave Portnoy and Pomp was trying to tell him about the fact that he's like, look, it's like you keep saying that that uh, stocks only go up at this 45 degree angle when you look at it from the from a very long time scale. And that's true. However, <laughs> he's like, what you're not taking into consideration is the fact that the dollar is being devalued across that same span of time. And that's more to do with the 45 degree angle and stock go up stuff than stocks actually gaining in value. Because if you look at stocks in terms of gold over the same time period, stocks have only gone down. Now, his react, Dave Portnoy's reaction to that was one of a little bitch. And I'm, I, I like Dave. I really do. But I was looking at his reaction going... This is what I expect out of my eight-year-old child when they don't get their way or when I'm telling, telling them something that they don't want to hear. It's, there was this air of defiance, this air of casual dismissal, and it was bullshit. And it made me wonder how the hell Dave Portnoy got the amount of money that he did get. At this point, if he made the majority of his money through stock trading, I believe that he's, he's just gotten lucky. I, I, I can't dismiss that as a very real possibility, given his reaction to Pompliano trying to tell him what you're looking at is false. That's what he was. He's like, what you're looking at is false, Dave. You can't number doesn't. There is no NGU technology here. Number go up looks like it's doing its thing here, but it's really not because what's happening is that the dollar is being devalued against the valuation of these stocks. Everything is now mispriced because nobody knows what the hell any prices is, which is one of the reasons why even Pompliano, who's one of, he's, a, you know, he's a pretty, pretty decent Bitcoiner, is like, all you have to do is just look at gold. And you can't look at Bitcoin because Bitcoin's only been around for 11 years, right? So there, there's no, 
historical trading there, especially if you're going to try to counter somebody like Dave Portnoy, who's clearly got a lot of money and thinks, but thinks he knows what he's doing is right. And yet when Pomp gets onto his ass, he acts like a little bitch. So I don't know what to tell Dave, but no, uh, 99.99% of this space is Ponzi. I will give him that, not Bitcoin. And that is why I Bitcoin. So a new era of media begins with tokenization. God help us all. September the 24th for Coindesk, Jun Ian Wong is writing this one. Media on the incumbent web is in crisis. It turns out that paying publishers for clicks, endless loops of content and ads all served on platforms far beyond their maximum viable scale is ideal for misinformation, disinformation and the decay of trust. The solution, according to various media innovation prognosticators, is the passion economy. The passion economy. Here we go. Narratives being spun. The argument goes that since anyone can create content now, it follows that the lumbering media institutions of the past will be unbundled and replaced with a swarm of individuals, smart, sharp, upstart newsletter writers, podcasters, and maybe even TikTokers. Substack will save us, hopefully. All right, I don't know what that means. Let's find out. But there's just one problem. The tool of the legacy web isn't fit to usher in this new era of publishing. If we believe that first we make our tools and then they make us, the aphorism so often misattributed to Marshall McLuhan, we must examine each layer of tooling involved in creating and distributing our stories. This is the media stack. As the polymath provocateur Balaji Srinvrasen calls it. I am never going to pronounce that gentleman's name. Sorry about it. Not doing it on purpose. And the media stack as it exists today is found wanting. The most powerful layers of distribution, payment, and production remain entangled in oligopolistic platforms where the platform's owner, not the creators fueling those systems, profit the most. So how can you cut through those bonds? You guessed it. This is where I make an argument for cryptocurrencies. As, or rather, an open source internet native money. Yeah, 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 we know. This is the notion of the Renaissance creator, as Jared Dicker of the Washington Post has called it. Every writer is also a publisher. The roles are flattened to optimize for agility and impact, but the model can be taken one step further. Sari Azat of Level Ventures argues for a participatory economy where fans benefit alongside media creators. We see an early glimpse of how cryptocurrencies can tie fans and creators together with a preliminary lean token design. I I think I know where this is going. Proposed by the Web 3.0 Tinker and my colleague Brian Flynn, media creators today can issue, there it is, their own cryptographic token and design distribution and incentives around it to trigger a virtuous cycle for themselves and their fans. A simple token economics model could help media creators bootstrap funding for new projects reward early fans and rally communities toward a common goal. In short, communities should be tokenized. Jesus. The tools and models for tokenizing these me Just use Bitcoin, dude. What is up with this shit? God, sorry. The tools and models for tokenizing these media relationships are being built right now. Collab.land is a system that lets media creators gate a Telegram or Discord chat, chat group so that only fans holding a certain number of tokens are lit in. The pseudonymous issuer of the whale token is now amassing a digital art collection that backs his coin, effectively turning it into an index fund of collectibles that anyone can buy. The, the news title decrypt 
allows re readers to earn tokenized rewards each time they engage with uh, stories within its app. The possibilities continue. Oh, so did the Ponzi's. Can volunteer run community efforts like meetups avoid a tragedy of the commons by issuing their own tokens to attendees and organizers? Ponzi. Will it ever be possible to bring in non-crypto native fans into a tokenized community? Bigger Ponzi. What happens when personal tokens are permissionlessly tacked onto the rest of DeFi's money Legos? <laughs> the largest Ponzi. An ecosystem of startups like Rally and Roll, investors like IDEO, Colab, and Variant Fund, and community efforts like the Seed Club Incubator for token issuers I'm helping launch are exploring these possibilities. Oh, it's an ad, not an opinion piece. The promise of tokenizing the relationship between writer and reader or broadcaster and audience means that we finally have an alternative to the extractive models of strip mining attention on the internet. But these are early days, just as Bitcoin has offered us a decade of permissionless value transfer over the internet. Years more of exploration for more equitable and more creative media products lie ahead of us. And that's both a challenge and a gift. No, it's not. It's going to be a mess and people are going to get poor while a whole less amount of people are going to get rich because of the human spirit. This is the way it rolls people. Now, a couple of days ago, it was definitely sometime this week on one of the earlier shows, there was a news story that taught, it was either a news story or a tweet storm that I read that talked about a, a narrative spinning out of ICOs going to D, to DeFi and now uh, the uh, narrative is shifting from DeFi to NFTs or the non-fungible tokens. And in the very end of that piece, I can't remember what it was, was the notion that what, what will be next is personalized tokens. You're seeing that narrative shift happen right before your eyes. Because I think that I, I got a theory here. It's probably not good, but uh, I think Jun Ian Wong is taking part in the narrative shift, whether he knows it or not. I think he knows it by writing this piece and then stating that he has a vested interest in this shift occurring to personalize tokens for media content. So get ready. Okay. I'd stay away. I'd stay as far away from this shit as possible. Just like I stayed away from ICOs. I stayed away from most of the altcoins. Uh, altcoins predate ICOs, so most of us actually bought altcoins. Even if they tell you that they didn't, they're probably lying. I, I still own a bag of Doge. I'm never getting rid of Doge. Why? Because it's fun. That's why. But all the rest of it, screw it. Um, <clears throat> then ICOs, which I never got into. And now we're into DeFi, which I will not touch with a 10-foot pole. And now there's the whole NFT narrative that's being spun up. This is happening so fast. I, I mean, I think it's happening so fast because this shit is so flammable. It's like watching a forest fire get set on fire that hasn't had rain in like 40 years and just watching dry ass tinder just exploding. Okay, so just dudes, be careful. Chainlink is up 30% following six-week downtrend and developer sell-off. Martin Young going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. Following a six-week downtrend from its all-time high, Link has rebounded 30% in the past 24 hours after a reporter developer or a reported developer sell-off resulted in downward pressure on the Oracle uh, Protocol token's price. 
that is all I'm going to say about it. I don't like reporting on this kind of crap, but you got to know that the downward pressure on Link over the last six weeks has been caused by a single developer selling their shit. If you want to be a part of that, man, more power to you. But if you're a Link Marine, I would get out. One developer and their stash was able to put that much downward pressure and cause that much slippage over that length of time should be something that you want to avoid, not flock to. Okay, so just be aware that's that's going on. This is cool. A massive Bitcoin artwork is being auctioned at Christie's. If you don't know what Christie's is, it is a huge auction house for the likes of the rich and the famous. It's where, you know, like pristine 80-year-old Rolls Royces are kept or or auctioned off and like, you know, mansions with 12,000 rooms in it are auctioned off. So, uh, Isat Dedezis, I cannot pronounce your name. I'm so sorry, but he's writing or she's writing for decrypt.co sometime. God, this was actually on the 23rd. Block 21 of portraits of a mind is one of 40 artworks spread across the world, which between them contain all one or what 12.3 million digits of Bitcoin's code. Okay, the walls of Christie's Auction House in New York have been graced by works from some of the greatest artists of all time. Monet, Picasso, Warhol, Pollock, the list goes on. Take a stroll through the galleries from October 1st and you'll find yourself in the presence of something entirely new. A large, alluring disc that at first glance could be an ancient artifact. I'm telling you, man, aliens built this shit. Its surface is inscribed with hundreds of thousands of digits of hexadecimal code 322,048 to be exact, some of which are highlighted in gold, radiating outwards from a central void. Its secrets aren't immediately obvious. It gives little away, but peer closer and you'll read Block 21 on the inner rim. This mysterious circle is bound to 39 others around the world, a collection that stretches more than 50 meters long, and the hidden meaning behind the 12.3 million digits engraved on their surfaces? They're a handcrafted, precise transcription of the original digits of the historic version 0.1.0 code that launched Bitcoin. The artist behind this painstaking process, Ben Gentili of the Robert Alice Project, has called this collective piece Portraits of a Mind. Described as a digital fingerprint carved out of paint, each of the 40 individual pieces contains a chunk of the original code. Taken together, they represent a global portrait of Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin's anonymous founder who first released the cryptocurrency's original code in January of 20, oh, sorry, 20, 2009. Quote, Bitcoin's original code base is like a historical document and I wanted to celebrate it and preserve it in the same way as a document like the Magna Carta, Gentili told Decrypt. Quote, but I also wanted to try and answer the question of how one might make a portrait of Satoshi Nakamoto when there is no image of him. In quote, Portraits of a Mind, he argues, depicts Satoshi through his work. Quote, for me, oh man, dude, get off. Sorry, fly. For me, this work is a portrait of Satoshi uh, decentralized around the world in the same way that Bitcoin itself is, he explained. The works themselves are canvas discs 50.59 inches in diameter layered with suspended pigment 
and graphite and aluminum paint with each digit individually engraved. Dotted here and there are gold digits, a metaphor for mining, arranged in a constellation-like pattern of decentralization. This thing is beautiful. I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and it's freaking stunning, dude. So why discs? They hark back to symbolic figures. Everything from coins to rhinestones, cipher wheels, and astronomical charts, and at the heart of each disc, where a coin would display the image of the monarch who minted it, is an empty space, which is a portrait of Satoshi Nakamoto. God, I love Bitcoin art. Some of these artists in this space are so original, and they think in ways that I've never seen artists think ever before about anything. I mean, these are tech artists, dude. Yeah, like, you know, Monet and, and like Van Gogh, the cubists of the, you know, the was like the early 19th or late 19th century. You know, these guys, they didn't have much political leanings. They, I mean, some of them clearly did, but, you know, for the most part, it's hard to detect if there's some kind of political or economic or technological thing going on in their paintings. This is becoming very obvious in some of these, some of these pieces are just are it's ridiculous and looking at this one i mean i'm looking at this thing right now in front of me and it's if you're not if you're not looking at it, it you got to go see it that's all i'm saying you got to go see it but even with specialist machinery it took gentilly three years of dedication and patience to complete the work which saw him quit his job and move into an abandoned police station to realize the vision quote there was a polish artist called roman Apolaka, whose work really inspired me, Gentilly said. Quote, one day he decided to stop all the work he was making, and the next day in 1965, he started a project called One to Infinity. The project he references saw Opalka start painting tiny numbers in order, starting from the top left of a canvas. He continued this process on countless canvases all the way up until his death. The final number he painted was 5,607,249. Scary, dude. By taking the historic Bitcoin code and splitting it up, Portraits of a Mind also embodies the cryptocurrency's founding tenant of decentralization. So much so, in fact, that Gentilly has refused to sell multiple pieces to the same collector. Offered privately to select collectors earlier this year, blocks 0 through 20 now lie decentralized across the world with works placed in important private and corporate collections. Current owners of other pieces in the series include Binance CEO Shengpeng's or well, Shengpeng Zhao, otherwise known as CZ, Block Chairman Matthew Rozak, and Kinetic co-founder Jihan Chu, to name a few. The full map of the locations of the code base can be found here, and here's a link. The authenticity of each piece is linked to the Bitcoin blockchain via a unique open time key in the reverse of each painting. Block 21 will also have a non-fungible token or NFT associated with it, gag, linking the physical and digital world together for authenticity. Another first for Christie's. The fact that Gentilly chose Block 21 to be publicly exhibited and released for auction is no accident. The number of the piece references Bitcoin's total supply of 21 million BTC. Bitcoin's code may only date back to 2009, but Portraits of a Mind traces its origins back much further. 5,000 years to be precise, each piece in the series references a specific set of geo-coordinates that tie in with, it, with that history. Block 23, for example, points to Hut 8, Bletchley Park, the office of Alan Turing, the father of the computer as we know it. God, 
Artists have often used their works to comment on emerging technologies. Turner's steam train hanging on the wall of London's National Gallery depicts one such technological revolution literally hurtling towards the viewer. That steam engine represents an end note to the Romantic period and the start of the Industrial Revolution, Gentilly said. Bitcoin, he noticed, is a similarly convulsive change. For the first time in half a millennium, there's a global monetary supply that exists outside of the state. Often overlooked, art and culture have a fundamental role to play in exploring and promoting the role of blockchain within society, while also preserving its story and histories for future generations, Gentilly added. Quote, portraits of a mind is my uh, contribution. He added, quote, one has to look at the world and ask themselves what is important now and what will be important in 30 years' time. The final page of the Bitcoin experiment has yet to be written, but if it fails, there will be one thing that hasn't failed, and that would be its legacy. End quote. The auction of Block 21 on October the 7th marks the first time Christie's has offered a blockchain-related artwork following successful sales of AI artwork in 2018. Up until now, crypto-related artwork has mostly been a hodgepodge of creations in the likes of Decentraland memes, GIFs, and other random creations scattered around online. That a world-famous auction house stepped in history or steeped in history is dipping its toes into the blockchain world could signal that the space has reached a new level of maturity. Well, not quite yet. I'm just saying, man. Uh... Those inside the cryptosphere perhaps unsurprisingly think as much. As an early Bitcoiner, this is the first object I am proud to hang on my wall to signal my history in the Bitcoin revolution, said Jihan Chu, co-founder of Kinetic Capital and owner of one of the works in the series. Quote, Bitcoin represents a paradigm shift not only in money and value, but in the emerging subculture of decentralization and changing power structures. The early pioneers of Bitcoin are a fiercely proud and self-identifying tribe, and until now, have lacked the cultural objects and icons to signify their tribe. This guy gets it, dude. Fellow Portraits of a Mind owner Matthew Rozak, chairman of Block, agrees. Uh, Portraits of a Mind is a landmark addition to both Bitcoin's cultural history as well as art history itself, he, he told Decrypt. Quote, I was struck by the depth of the work's narrative, its artistic examination of decentralization, and its aesthetic beauty. One of the most important historical documents of our time, Satoshi's Codebase, has now been immortalized in art history. Quote, with the launch of Block 21 at Christie's, the blockchain community presents for the first time the very basis of their global or of their culture on a global stage, said Gentilly. I look forward to welcoming one more collector to our network, whoever and wherever they may be. So that was quite a long one, but that ends up being quite an important one too. For... I've seen some people poo-poo, you know, Bitcoin art is just stupid and it's not. There's never, there's always going to be somebody in like at the beginning of, or at the very, you know, first breaths of a movement like Bitcoin, whether it's like the industrial revolution, like was referred to that painting was referring to earlier. Um, there's always going to be somebody there that says, Oh, that's just stupid. That's a waste of, of your talent, time, treasure to produce art of something that's so, you know, I don't know, bohemian or something like that. I, I don't know what they would call it, but what they fail to realize is that the artist is actually capturing way, way, way more of a sight of the future than your average normie. So you guys who are poo-pooing on the artist, sorry, but you're the one that is actually in the wrong. <clears throat> Russia's telecom regulator blacklist Binance website 
The website of the Binance Exchange is still available without additional access tools. Platform says crypto funds are SAFU. Uh, Authorities in Russia appear to be going after Binance as its domain is now in the list of prohibited websites in the country. On September the 24th, Binance officially announced on its Russian Telegram channel that Russian telecom regulator Roskomandazor has added the website to the register of platforms disseminating prohibited information. Let that one sink in. Prohibited information. I'm trading coins. Yeah, well, that's information that's prohibited. I'm just buying Bitcoin. Yeah, well, that's information that's prohibited. Russia. See, them, like the IRS, are getting real nervous at this point, y'all. According to the announcement, Binance has been placed in the list due to distribution of data related to the acquisition of digital currencies like Bitcoin. Gleb Kostarev, Binance's head of operations for Russia and the CIS, told Cointelegraph that the exchange announced the news immediately after the exchange received a notification from Roskomandazor. Despite the domain being placed on the list of prohibited websites, Russians can still access it without any additional tools like a VPN as of press time. The URL URL can be found on the official register of blacklisted sites on Roskomandazor, whatever. According to the data, the website was listed on June the 2nd, 2020, while the access to the website is not limited. In the public announcement, Binance executives emphasized that they haven't received any information about the restriction prior to September 24th, stating, quote, We were not previously notified of any claims by law enforcement agencies, civil government services, or courts prior to receiving above notification. We have now engaged our legal counsels for further advice and would like to assure all of our Russian users that there will be no disruption to their services in the interim and that their funds are SAFU. And in my opinion, that's exactly what the Russian government wanted, and I'll explain why here in a second. As Binance website was purportedly blacklisted by Roskomandazor in June of 2020, the action <clears throat> appears to be unrelated to Binance's plans to launch its crypto debit card in Russia since the plans for it were announced slightly later in September of 2020. In late August, Roskomandazor also blocked bestchange.ru, a major cryptocurrency website in Russia that provides an aggregator service of about 400 local crypto exchange websites. So that's it. So why is it that it's not being shut down even though it's blacklisted? Because they're using it to find out exactly where all the people with cryptocurrency in Russia are, or at least as many as that they can get through their actions on Binance. All those comm channels are being monitored, I guarantee it. All IP addresses are being scraped, I guarantee it. The fact that they didn't tell Binance means that they didn't want Binance to tell their customers what Russia was up to so that they would continue to do the shit that they were going to do anyway and do all of their trades and whatnot so that Russia could find their locations and their IP addresses and exactly what their balances are because I guarantee you that's what Russia is doing. If you don't believe me, I can't help you, but that's the end of the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked brought to you by Hearns. That is at Hearns, H-E-R-N-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. I think it's six Z's. It may be five. You get that many letters going on, it's kind of hard to read. But it's not Hearns that's the train wreck. He's he's the one that's dry, that's bringing the train to us. He's, he's demonstrating the train wreck himself. He says, and this was sometime this morning, remember when you could only get 11 BCH for BTC? Through a special 
partnership with the market, Roger Caver is excited to announce that you can now get 50. What's he talking about? He's got a screen cap, and I don't know what the date of the screen cap is. I oh, wait, well, hold on, no, wait, wait. Okay, he's actually referencing a tw- Hearns himself is actually referencing a tweet of his own way back, 14 of September, 2018. Okay, this is like what two years ago, a little just a hair over two years ago. He says, "Oh, Roger," and he's got a screen cap of something that Roger said. Let's find out what Roger said. Right now, you can get about 11 Bitcoin cash for every Bitcoin. Even if you are more bullish Bitcoin than Bitcoin cash, I don't think there are 11 to 1 reasons, whatever that means. That's what I've done with most of my Bitcoin, converted them to Bitcoin cash. It just means that you're 5x down, Roger. If that's what you really did, I tend not to believe that you actually did that, but I don't know. Sorry for your loss. God, that's just sad. So anyway, there's your smoldering pile. And here's your dad joke. Ah, I have a fear of speed bumps. I'm slowly getting over it. There's nothing left to say except that I think I'm finally going to be able to pound one out that is just under an hour. Congratulations, me. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.